Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So Christmas Eve of 2007, 15 years ago, uh, Kim and I had just finished college. We were about to move down to Texas to start a brand new uh, job at a church down there. And we're staying at my parents' house for a few days during the Christmas holiday. So Christmas Eve night, it's really late. Kim has kind of sensed for a few days something kind of different physically with her. And so she has me really late on Christmas Eve night run to the drugstore to buy a pregnancy test. So I go get the test, bring it back, and it's immediately pregnant. I mean, she has to use it first, but, you know, uh, it's immediately, did I say pregnant? I mean positive. Oh, my my goodness. It's going to be one of those kind of days, isn't it? Sorry, John Dixie. You got me after I do this. This is, you know, after the tank's already out, you get me for the wedding. But anyway, so she takes the test. Immediately, it's positive. And so we give my parents that Christmas 15 years ago probably the strangest gift they've ever gotten because we actually gave them the pregnancy test for for their Christmas gift. And so that was uh, kind of a neat deal. But Christmas really is all about waiting for an arrival. And that's why, you know, religiously, this time of year is called Advent, because we're awaiting the arrival of Jesus. But the first Christmas had a special sort of anticipation for a very specific kind of arrival. And the mother of Jesus, Mary, she found this news out, not through a pregnancy test, but through a very special visitor that came to her out of nowhere. And so today we're going to talk about an angel and a teen mom. We're going to look at this story of uh, an angel named Gabriel coming to this 13, 14-year-old girl named Mary to give her some crazy news that then would still have effects even to this day. So an angel and a teen mom. So this mom, or this, she's not a mom yet, but this girl, Mary, again, 13, 14 years old, from a small town in Nazareth in Israel, who is engaged, or we would, the Bible says betrothed, so it's kind of like engaged plus. So it's not like, you know, if something happens, we just call it off, here's your ring. No, it's like you actually have to get a legal divorce after you're betrothed to this person that you are betrothed to. So Mary's betrothed to this man named Joseph, and then one day, we're reading Luke chapter 1 today in One day, she gets this uh, crazy visitor that comes to her and gives her a crazy message. So let's look at this today. Luke chapter 1, we're going to read verses 26 through 38, this entire section here. As we're going through the Bible this year, we've reached the book of Luke. We'll finish up our year in the Bible on Christmas Eve night. Um, But tonight, Luke chapter, or today, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so we were there last week, right? Elizabeth, that's Mary's cousin. She's going to give birth to John the Baptist. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. 
Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month for the word of God will never fail. Other translations say, for with God, all things are possible. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So this young, normal teenager gets a surprise visit from an angel from heaven. Now, we tend to think of angels, we have this thought in our mind of what they look like. But the point of an angel is not what it looks like, but what it does what it's meant to do, its purpose, its mission. And the actual word angel in both Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament just means messenger. So you might think angels do these other things. Well, they might do other things, but their, their point of what they do is to be a messenger. It's in the name of what they are. And last week we looked at some examples of angelic uh, visions or the visitations to people in Scripture But two things to know about angels here, and we'll look at a few more examples today, is that when angels appear, they always appear intentionally. It's not like they just appear like, whoops, don't know what I'm here for. Like I walked into my office a few minutes ago and forgot why I walked in there. Like angels don't do that, okay? They don't have that problem. They appear, they know why they're there, they're on a mission. They have a message to give. And that's the second part about them, is they appear with a message in mind. So there's a few examples, Old and New Testament, that show this to be true. Let's look at just a few examples quickly. Let's run through them. In Judges 2, maybe one of the most unique examples that I've found is in Judges chapter 2, an angel appears to the entire nation of Israel in the Old Testament. It's very unusual. Normally, an angel appears to one person or maybe a couple of people at a time. But in Judges 2, it says this angel appears to the entire nation of Israel with a message that they're entering the promised land. They've conquered parts of it. God has uh, divinely pushed the other peoples out of the way for them to conquer the land. But this angel says, you have been disobedient to God, so now he's not going to push any more people out. You're going to have to just live with them and deal with them on your own. So that's kind of a bummer to start out, but that's where that's the angel had that message. But then later in Judges, in chapter 6, he shows up to a young guy named Gideon and tells him he's going to be the next leader of Israel. We'll talk more about him in a few minutes. In 1 Kings 19, the prophet Elijah is literally going through deep, dark depression. He's asking God to kill him. He is so depressed. And he's laying under a tree, just going to just waste his life away. But an angel wakes him up from sleeping under this tree and prepares a meal for him, actually two, and tells him, you're going to need this to travel to what you need to do next. And so when Elijah eats that, it says that that food sustained him for 40 days as he traveled to where God wanted him to go next. And the next thing Elijah did was to commission his successor, Elisha, to be the next prophet of the kingdom. In Daniel chapter 10, an angel appears to Daniel and gives him an odd vision and prophecy that is really weird. 
We talked about last week in Luke chapter 1, this angel came to Zechariah and told him that your old barren wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son named John. And then similarly here in Luke 1 as well, an angel appears to Mary and says that even though you're a virgin, you're going to conceive of the Holy Spirit and have a son. And then in Luke chapter 2, after Jesus is born, an angel appears to the shepherds with a message about the birth of Jesus. So angels always appear intentionally and with a message to someone for a purpose. So that's what these angelic visitations are all about. And Mary falls into this small list, very small list of angelic visits with a message. So there's two key words that the angel gives to Mary that we're going to focus on today, and then we're going to end with her response. So two words that the angel gives that I want to focus on, and then her response. We will spend a majority of our time on the first word, just a heads up. So when I'm done with point one, you're not looking at your watch freaking out. Um, so we're going to start with the first key word that the angel has for Mary, and that's this word favor. He actually says it to her twice. So when he first meets her, he says that you are highly favored. And then after that, he says, God has given you his, or you found favor with God. So he says it to her twice. So let's talk about, about favor just for a little bit here. We'll look at uh, what it is, uh, what it does, and who it's for. That's what we're going to focus on with favor for a little bit here. What it is, what it does, and who it's for. So if you look up favor in the dictionary, uh, it's, it'll, it'll define it this way. Favor is friendly regard shown toward another, especially by a superior. Or it's also known as gracious kindness to someone or special privilege. When you look how it's used in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, there are synonyms that are used interchangeably with this word favor. And a couple of these synonyms would be either grace or blessing. So God's favor could also be seen as his grace or his blessing on a person. Now, broadly speaking, our salvation, if you're a follower of Jesus, your salvation is an extension of God's favor to you. It's his grace to you. We know this from Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, where Paul writes, God saved you by his grace, or he extended his favor to you when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. The gift of salvation is, is God giving and extending his favor, his grace, his blessing to you. Even that definition from the dictionary, it's his gracious kindness extended to you. There's also a prayer, a special prayer in the Old Testament that God gave to the first high priest. And so it's actually Moses' brother, um, the high priest Aaron, who God said, here's the prayer that I want you to pray over Israel. And it shows, it kind of fleshes out as an extended definition of what God's favor looks like. So let's look at it. Number 6, 24 through 26. Here's the prayer of Aaron, the high priest. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. This is a great extended definition of what God's favor looks like. Blessing, protection, grace, and peace. So just like God gave Mary his favor, God wants to give his favor to you. God wants you to live in and walk in his favor. Now, we'll talk more about what it is, but let's quickly talk about what favor is not. Favor is not simply good luck. 
So when you're driving up to the store and there's a parking spot right at the front, okay, that's not necessarily God's favor on your life. He smiled down upon me and, and he's withheld the other vehicles for this spot just for me. That's not exactly what God's favor is, okay? Maybe you're really good at winning raffles or things on the, like calling on the radio and you win tickets. You do that, you win it all the time. That is not necessarily God's favor on your life, okay? So uh, an example, I never win anything like that. But then one time, right before we found out we were pregnant, we were on a cruise after we finished uh, college. And there was at a jewelry store was having a raffle for this nice new watch, ladies' watch. And so we both put a ticket in there. There's hundreds of tickets in this thing, right? And so we're actually having dinner with Tim and Christy, and so I'm like, oh, it's time. The raffle's like right now. So I run down to the jewelry store like seven floors down, and I wait, and they pull out my number. And I have to look at my ticket again. I'm like, they say the number again. That's me, right? So that is not God's favor resting upon Stephen in that moment, okay? I just got lucky they pulled out my ticket. Sometimes we think that that's how God's favor works, but it's actually much more than that. It's actually much deeper and richer than that. God's favor is, here's what, it, here's what it really is. God's favor is added grace that equips and propels you for a purpose. Just like the angel came to Mary with a message, with a purpose, and every angel that appears to anyone ever comes on purpose, God's favor resting upon your life equips and propels you for a purpose. And God wants to give his favor to you for a specific, unique purpose. So God's favor comes, it comes in many ways. We'll look at a few examples here. Sometimes God will give you favor with people. We see this in the book of Proverbs. So at the beginning of Proverbs, it's sort of like a father teaching his son, sort of sitting him down saying, here's how the world works. Here's how life goes. If you listen to me and you hearken to my wisdom, things will typically work out pretty well for you. It's kind of how Proverbs is laid out. At the beginning in Proverbs 3, the father tells the son, okay, if you will walk in wisdom, Proverbs 3, verse 4, it says, Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. That's Proverbs 3, 4. The, the father tells the son, If you walk in wisdom, then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. God wants to give you favor with people in your life. With your boss, maybe if you are the boss, with your employees, with the people you work with, people that you live near, people that you live with. God wants to give you favor with these people, but there's a purpose for it. So, for instance, God wants to give you favor with your boss, not just so you'll get a fat raise or a nice promotion, not just so that you're their favorite, because maybe you don't want to be that because of what your coworkers are going to call you, okay? But the point is, ultimately, to gain influence with that person for a purpose. And maybe it's for the good of the company you work for. If you have the ear of your boss or your manager, and then you can be sort of implement some changes that need to be made, that's maybe the purpose that God might give you favor with that person. And ultimately, I think that in any case, especially someone who is not connected to God through Jesus, God wants to give his favor to you to help to lead them to Christ. If that person trusts you and believes you and, and you're solid in their eyes and you, they, they, they will listen when you speak, God will give you favor with some people for the purpose of leading them to Christ. And with your neighbors, coworkers, anyone, family, 
God will give you favor with them, and it's not just so you'll be liked by them, although that's nice, right? That's a bonus, but ultimately, it's for the purpose of influencing them for the sake of the gospel. A healthy, here's a healthy way to see pur- the purpose of God's favor. It's to give you power and ability to make a difference in the lives of others. Ideally, favor, we think of favor as about God doing something for me. But typically, what we see here, and we'll see an example in the Old Testament here for a minute, usually God's favor primarily is for you to influence someone else and then possibly get a secondary sort of kickback on that favor. It works sort of backwards from what we might think. So a great example of this is Joseph from the Old Testament. Not Jesus' father, Joseph, but Joseph from the Old Testament. So this is another young teenage guy. He has these dreams where he tells his brothers and dad over breakfast, maybe not the best breakfast conversation, hey, I had these dreams that you guys bowed down and worshipped me. So Obviously, they don't want to hear that. They don't like that. That's not what they, you know, I'm I'm trying to drink my orange juice, Joe. I don't want to hear about your stupid dream where I bow down to you. And so his brothers, being jealous, like like you would imagine, they throw him into this pit. And then they decide they're going to kill him. And they thought, wait, 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 wait. We can make money off this dude. So let's sell him to this traveling caravan as a slave. So they do, right? So Joseph goes, becomes a slave. He works for a guy named Potiphar. We'll talk about him more in a minute. And then he's accused of trying to make advances on his boss's wife. Not great, but it didn't happen. But the, again, his, Potiphar believes his wife over his slave, and he's thrown into prison. Even in this prison, God shows favor to Joseph. Let's look at it here for a minute. Genesis 39, 19. It says this, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him in the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. I think maybe even that is maybe God's favor in a way. He might, he is thrown kind of in a pretty posh prison where, where the king's prisoners are. Like they maybe even had, you know, like cots to lay on, you know, we don't know that, but that's just kind of how my mind works, guys. So just bear with me. It goes on to say this, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love, or you could say favor. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Even in prison, which we'll talk about in a second, God gave Joseph favor with people. He was put in charge of the prison. So the warden shows up every day, puts his feet up on his desk, and watches Netflix because Joe's going to take care of everything. I trust him. He gained favor with this man to be put in charge even of the prison. It says everything he did succeeded. But notice, in every step of the way of Joseph's life, God's favor was on him. But the primary benefit, the initial benefit of the favor on Joseph was for the benefit of other people around him. Okay. So even when he's a slave in Potiphar's house, same type of story. He's working hard. He gets noticed. He finds favor with Potiphar, but the favor that he shows to promote him to the top in the house benefited Potiphar's household because he ran everything smoothly like a well-oiled machine. Now, Joseph got the secondary benefit of kind of being the head slave, but the primary benefit was not even for him. 
It's kind of strange how God works that way, but that seems to be how it goes. Because then even after he's thrown in prison here, he finds favor with the uh, warden in the jail. And the benefit, primary benefit of favor on Joseph's life benefited the prison and how it ran. Secondarily, Joseph kind of runs the ranks. Then even when Joseph is released from prison and God shows him his favor there, because the Pharaoh has these dreams that he can't interpret, Joseph, through God's power, can interpret these dreams. And so he's then promoted to second in command in all of Egypt over this brand new thing about how we're going to survive a famine. So God's favor was on Joseph. So he was promoted. He did have a benefit. But the primary benefit for God's favor on Joseph was to preserve Egypt from a famine and the surrounding region. So it's, it's funny how God's favor seems to work backwards from what we think, but that seems to be actually how it works. But there is a possible problem with Joseph's favor, and maybe when you think of God's favor and you look at your life, you say, that doesn't compute. When I look at my life and my struggles and my difficulties and my issues and the things that I'm facing, I'm not sensing a lot of God's favor on my life. That's the problem that we see here with Joseph. Is because he was, okay, so the question is, if God showed so much favor to Joseph, then why was he sold into slavery by his own family? Why did his owner not even give him a chance to defend himself but throw him straight in prison? Why did he rot in prison for over a decade before anybody remembered he was there, right? Why did all of these things, if God's so favorable and gracious to him and giving him his blessing, then what gives? There's got to be a thing here. But the, the truth is, God's favor may not always be what it seems, even as we've seen, it sort of works counter to what we might think it does. And in this way, it's also true. Because God's favor is not always preventative. Sometimes it's preservative. I'll say that again. God's favor is not always preventative. Sometimes it's preservative. Because Joseph did have to encounter difficulty, injustice, pain, but that did not mean God's favor wasn't upon him. It says clearly in the text, time after time, God's favor was upon him. It was upon him. It was upon him, despite the difficulties, injustice, and pain that he faced. What we can say about Joseph is that enduring those trials was proof of God's favor on his life. It's not always preventative. Sometimes it's preservative. Sometimes God's favor in your life is going to protect you from danger. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. Sometimes, in other times, God's favor might be courage in the battle that you're facing. He didn't keep you from the battle, but in the battle, he keeps you in the battle. That's still God's favor. I mean, I always, I, I want the other kind of favor, right? That's what I would prefer most of the time. But I think in the end, God knows that those battles are there for a reason, for a purpose, and for our good, and he keeps us in that with his favor, Sometimes God's favor is just strength to get you through whatever difficulty you're in the midst of. Not to keep it from happening to you, because if he, here's why. If God kept everything bad from ever happening to you, you wouldn't worship God, you would use him. You would live however you wanted, knowing God's going to bail me out. You could say or do any stupid thing you wanted, because you know God's going to bail me out. You would not live, you wouldn't live in this awe and worship of who he is, really, you would say, well, yeah, I would. No, you wouldn't. You would use him as your fail-safe, as your emergency hatch. So God sometimes will use his favor in these protective ways, but other times it's courage in the battle, strength in difficulty, and even joy in suffering. 
Sometimes God's favor will rescue you after a long time of pain. After enduring something for weeks, months, years of your life, sometimes after long enough, according to his way and his timing, he will pull us out of that situation or bring us to the end of that situation. We see this as an example in in the life of David. So before uh, David is king, Saul is king of Israel. And Saul is like literally going insane. And he is insanely jealous of this new young guy who also happens to be married to his daughter. So it's kind of weird that King Saul is trying to kill a son-in-law. But maybe you can relate to that in your family. You know, it's Christmas time where you know who to avoid at your Christmas gathering maybe. You know, if they have a knife, get away kind of thing. So that would be Saul. If he's got a spear, get out of the way, David. This is not good for you. And so Saul literally has a small army that travels across the country trying to catch and kill David. So for years and years and years, this great man of God, David, who would become the greatest king in Israel's history, is having to run for his life, live in caves, live in the wilderness, like live on the hospitality of total strangers at times. And so it's like, well, God's favor was not with him. Wrong. David knows better than that. So the the way eventually that David survives this is because Saul dies first. That's the only reason David's not killed by Saul is that Saul's killed in battle first, and now David's kind of free from this years-long trial in his life. After After Saul dies, it says he mourns Saul's death, but then he writes Psalm chapter 18. I want to read part of it with you to help you to see David's perspective here as he gives his heart over to sings his heart out to God about this situation that God has he didn't prevent this from happening but he brought him through it. So Psalm 18 starting at verse number 1 David writes, "I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield." the power that saves me and my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. So he's in this, right? God didn't prevent this, he's in it. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Now skip down to verse 16. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescues me because he delights in me. That's God's favor on David's life. The imagery that he pictures there, like he's literally in grave danger at several points in this several-year period of his life. But God was with him. His favor was upon him, sustaining him through what he was enduring. Not keeping everything away from him, but keeping him through what happened. This is true for Mary as well, back to Luke 1. Because think of the shame now that Mary's going to live with for the rest of her life. Yeah, the Holy Spirit, uh-huh. I'm sure that's definitely who uh, impregnated you, Mary. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah, that you and Joseph, you know, something wasn't going, yeah, right. Like for the rest, not just at, like for the rest of her life, her little town, neighborhood, here's this story, no one's going to believe that story. No one. So it's not just around the birth of Jesus or when she's starting to show people do the math and they don't believe. Like, that's her reputation for the rest of her life. 
She's, she's, oh, yeah, Mary over there. Like she, that's just who she is. That's a struggle that she had to deal with, but God's favor was on her to get her through that. Imagine the difficulty in raising God's son for a second. You talk about second-guessing your parenting skills and you're raising God's son. You're probably thinking, am I allowed to discipline him? You know, like not, not that she needed to or whatever, but like, am I allowed to get on to him? Do I have to make him clean up his room? Like, like I don't know. That, that's a struggle that Mary had, that she had to have God's favor to deal with. Or think about how, you, you know, we try to bubble wrap our kids so they don't get hurt. Can you imagine Mary trying to protect God's son from getting a scraped knee? Or a broken arm. I kind of, no, Jesus, don't do that. You know, it's like the, just the pressure that she felt even as a parent. She had to have God's favor to sustain her through that. And then there's always the, you know, I can't let him get a big head. Like he knows he's God's son now. So maybe I have to kind of help him navigate that. Like the pressure on Mary to perform as a parent for God's son is a lot. And then ultimately her realizing the purpose of her son's life is his death like that's the purpose that's a difficulty that's a weight that she had to bear she had to have god's favor on her to sustain her through that but through all of that god's favor was upon mary to help her carry out her mission and so my prayer is that god's favor would rest upon you in the same way and that leads to the final thing about favor and then we'll, we'll move on to the other two very quickly the question is, who is God's favor for? Is it just for the super spiritual? Is it just for the well-connected? Is it just for the experienced person? Is it just for, like, Mary, who's someone in the Bible, or David, who's somebody in the Bible? No. God's favor is available to everyone. God wants to extend to you his favor, his grace, his blessing on your life, even for you. Here's quickly the second word um, that the angel gives to Mary, and that's the word fear. In fact, it's the opposite of that, though, isn't it? It's fear not. The angel says, do not be afraid. And this is the theme in these angelic visitations is one of the reactions of people that see angels is they're kind of scared. They're kind of freaked out a little bit. They don't know what to do with that. They don't know what's going on. They're, it's out of nowhere. And so that's what Mary does here, too. But the angel says, don't be afraid. His visitation is probably scary to her. His appearance might be scary to her. The fear of the unknown. Like if she knows, okay, this is an actual angel. If he's coming with the message, it's going to change my life. That's going to instill some fear right off the bat. Even when the, the plan is explained a little bit, she has some questions. Like, how is this possible? How am I going to have a baby? That's just not possible, right? So there's some fear there in what the angel is even telling her. But what I want you to notice is that the name of the angel is mentioned, I think, on purpose. So the angel's name here is Gabriel, which means strength of God. So even in the name of the messenger that appears to Mary, God's giving her a message, even in just the name. So when she's afraid, she doesn't have to be afraid because God is her strength. And then as the angel delivers this message, he tells her, you don't have to be afraid because with God, all things are possible. And so this Christmas in your life, you don't have to live in fear. Fear is prevalent in our world, isn't it? It's everywhere, all the time. The news, full of fear. Social media, full of fear. The cooler, water cooler talk at your job, full of fear. Everything is full of fear. Your life may have things in it that make you afraid. The things that you see around you may cause fear. But let me give you the same message that the angel Gabriel gave to Mary. Fear 
not. And it's for the same reason. Because as, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind or self-control. We, we, God's given us a greater spirit, his Holy Spirit, to push us past fear into what God has for us in our lives. And it's the same thing the angel said to Mary. We don't have to fear because with God, all things are possible. And that leads to the final thing we'll end with, and that's Mary's response to this angel's message. And that is simply faith. Her response to the angel is faith. She had an unexpected visitor with an impossible message, but her immediate response to this angel, when she kind of works through for a second what's going on, her immediate response is, okay, let's do this. I can tell you, I don't know if I possess that type of deep faith that Mary possessed as a young teenager. This angel appears telling you this crazy thing's going to happen that is physically impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And she just says, let's do it. She says, may everything that you've said about me come to pass. That's her immediate response. Let's read one more portion of scripture for just a second. So after the angel visits her, then it, it says that she goes and visits Elizabeth, who's going to have John the Baptist, right? And then she sings this special song that we'll, we'll read and then we'll close. And this is an extension or an example of her deep faith in what God had planned for her. It's Luke chapter 1. Let's start at verse 46. This is Mary's song of praise. She says this, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly, of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. And he made this promise to our ancestors and to Abraham and his children forever. There's 10 verses in the Bible in her song, and every single verse focuses on God. Every one. At least once, sometimes twice in the verse. She says, he's done this. I praise him for this. He has said this. He's promised this. So Mary was able to not fear, and she was able to have faith because God was her primary focus. It's the same for you and for me. So here's what I want you to remember this week. When I am the focus, I'm filled with fear. When God is the focus, I'm filled with faith. When I'm the focus of my life, of my situations, of my impossibilities, I become acutely aware that I'm inadequate, that I'm unprepared, that I'm weak, and I'm imperfect. And that creates fear. Because I know I'm not enough. I know this is too big. I know I can't take it. I can't handle it. I can't endure this thing if I'm the focus. But if God is my focus, I become aware that he is all-sufficient, all-knowing, all-powerful, completely perfect. And that fills me with faith because God is always more than enough. But it's all about focus. That fact alone doesn't change your situation at all, does it? But it changes what you focus on. That fact doesn't, in any material way, make what you're enduring any easier to endure. Right? But it makes it 
endurable because I'm not focused on me trying to do it. I don't have to be strong enough, smart enough, good enough because God is everything I need. That small distinction on our focus is everything. It was everything for Mary. I also love, one more thing and then we'll close, I promise, all right? I also love that in Mary's song, she has the faith to see beyond herself and see beyond her present moment. So in her song, she connects the dots all the way back to Abraham. Like, this thing that's happening to me, I can see by faith, this is what God said to Abraham. Now that's faith to see that, to connect those dots. And then she also looks out generations ahead to see the influence at this moment, this event is going to have on the world. Fear will cloud your vision like a thick fog, and all you can think about is yourself and this present moment. But Faith can connect the dots in your life to see how God has been so faithful to you. Despite all the setbacks, disappointment, frustration, pain, injustice that I've endured, all along the way by faith I see that God has led me faithfully and fully to where I am right now. And that kind of faith will propel you onward. And also faith will help us to see beyond our present moment to anticipate the long-term impact that you can make, not because of you, but because of God working in and through you. So if God gave his divine favor to a young teenager, God will give his favor to you. And if that teenager could choose to not be mastered by faith, then you can choose the same thing. I I said faith, but I meant fear. I, I I heard myself say it. Let me say that again. If that teen could choose to not be mastered by fear, then so can you. And may we, like Mary, this young teen mom, live lives filled with faith to believe God to do the impossible. It's faith over fear as we live in the favor of God this Christmas. Let's pray. God, thank you for this angel and for Mary, this young teen mom. Thank you for the message of this angel that is also for us, that God wants to give us his favor, that we don't have to be moved by fear, but we can live in faith as we walk in your favor. And thank you for the example of Mary, who walked out her faith, who lived out her faith. There was difficulty, there was pain, There was discomfort. There was all of these things that would cause fear to overtake her. But by faith, she persevered in your favor, knowing that the favor that you gave her wasn't just for her, but was for the benefit of others that include us today. We are an extension of your favor on Mary, us in this room today. And may our lives of faith have that same kind of favor that we can impact generations beyond us that we'll never even meet, never even know, we'll be dead and gone way before they ever are even born. But may our lives have such favor from you that it impacts them years and years down the road. May we live lives of faith over fear as we walk in your favor, especially this holiday season as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And so I do pray for your favor your blessing, your grace upon all those here today, and that we would choose faith over fear as we walk in your favor. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.